Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to City Church. My name's Sam. Um, I'm a new dad and an accountant and a great fan of Psalm 27, and that's what we're going to be looking at together this morning. Um, You might not know this about me, but I went to an American high school for two years. Um, And one of the cliches about the American high school experience is you get one of these yearbooks every year. And if it's your last year of high school, then you get inside the yearbook a little glossy photo of yourself, plus any like school awards you've won during your time at school. And you can pick a couple of quotes if you like. So I had one of these. There is a glossy photo in existence of me. Um, You can come around my house later, Ben, and I can get the yearbook out. Don't have the footage with me, I'm afraid. But... My profile had, uh, had zero awards, unfortunately, but it did have two quotes, and one of the quotes was from Psalm 27. Um, it's just as well I'm not, I've not been asked to speak next week, really, as the second quote is uh, from another source of wisdom in my adolescence, Homer Simpson. Um, he said, you've tried your best and failed miserably. The lesson here is never try. LAUGHTER um, on a serious note, this, this is one of my favorite Bible passages uh, and has been a great source of encouragement to me personally. Uh, and I think also that God's got something for us as a church in this. Um, if you've not been around for long, a few months, just a few months ago in September, we celebrated 20 years as City Church in the city and the joining of two churches, City Church and Bridge Church, to be a united church, which was a fantastic Sunday. And one of the things that uh, that was shared that Sunday was with God's words to Joshua, be strong and courageous. That's the theme that's echoed here in Psalm 27. Uh, and I believe that God will speak to us about how we can be freed from fear and be strong and courageous for him. Um, so quickly, if, if, you've not, if, you're not, if you've not read a psalm, you don't know what the psalms are, there are 150 poems and songs used in Israel's worship of God. They're found in the Old Testament, which is the first section of the Bible. Um, This one we're looking at, Psalm 27, written by David. David is the name of my three-and-a-half-month-old son, and he's also an Old Testament king. This one is written by the latter. Um, (laughs) The Bible describes David as a man after God's heart, Uh, a kind of flawed but heroic king, and a precursor of heaven's true king, Jesus. So uh, let's, let's get started. I'm reading from uh, the ESV translation, Psalm 27. Uh, if you need a hand finding, finding Psalms, it's around the middle of your Bible, um, or you can find it on your smartphone, or we've got it back here as well. Um, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. 
And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. When we look at Psalm 27, I think we see a picture of what it looks like to dwell with God. I want to understand this. This morning, we're going to look at this in three steps. Firstly, an invitation from God to David. Secondly, David's response to that invitation and the effects that that response has. And then thirdly, what this interaction tells us about how we might respond to the invitation we have in Jesus. So first, an invitation. Um, Like a good cheese, I'd like to start at the middle of Psalm 27. Kind of unconventional, I suppose. But in in verse 8, we see an invitation directed towards David. Speaking of, of God, it says, you have said, seek my face. This is amazing, remarkable. The almighty God, maker of all things, gives David an invitation. Wow. And he says, seek my face. So English, I suppose, doesn't help us here, but The original verb, to seek, is plural. So uh, if you ever did any French at school, we're talking about a vous-type verb rather than a to-type verb. Um, This is not just a solely invitation focused on David, but it's a wider invitation to many, to plural, seek my face. And what is it, then, that the hearers of this invitation are to seek? God's face. What does that mean? It's, it's kind of one of those unusual religious type expressions, I suppose. I mean, what would you think if a friend said to you, seek my face? It doesn't happen much, I suppose. Like, if you wanted some practical help, you might say, yeah, can you give me a hand? Or you wanted some advice, you might say, I, I'd really value your thoughts on this. But to seek someone's face, I suppose to me it speaks of a a direct connection and closeness with almost no other motive just for that connection, relationship and intimacy. It's like, I want to spend time with you and to get to know you. The invitation that David received, and I think it's the same for us too, is to seek God, not for his hand, not for his blessing, 
not for what he might do for us primarily, but much richer, to seek his company, to get to know him, to seek his face. So we have an invitation to seek God's face. What does David, how does David respond? David's response in verse 8 again is a resounding yes. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. If the invitation was corporate or plural, for David, the response is personal. My heart says. And what difference does, if that is David's yes to God, what difference does that yes make to David's life? I'm going to pick out four effects, I suppose, in David's life that we can see from Psalm 27. Um, There we go. Firstly, a new priority. If we rewind slightly in the psalm in verse 4, David goes into some more detail on what it looks like for him to seek the Lord's face. He says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or to meditate in his temple. David's response is like single-hearted, laser-focused, yes. Seeking the Lord's face becomes his one thing. This is a real provocation for me. And I guess perhaps for us, we live in an age of distraction, of multitasking and split screens, where this kind of one thing mentality is hard to maintain. I've got some statistics for you. I said I was an accountant, so I like numbers. Um, A report into mobile gaming in February 2016 found that consumers spent 1.15 billion hours a month playing mobile games every month. And if you think that's crazy, in February last year, YouTube announced that people around the world watch a billion hours of YouTube video every day. That's the equivalent of over 100,000 years worth of YouTube videos every day. (laughs) Isn't Isn't that amazing? Wow. What a world we live in. And you know, some of you are looking at your, well, I, I suppose are probably your Bibles on your, on your phones. You know, maybe you're contributing to the hours as right now. Um, I, I, I guess, you know, I don't have anything against mobile games or, or YouTube. And, and it may be these are not div- diversions for you, or maybe they are. But I suppose we all face obstacles to staying focused. Much of David's life is recorded in the Bible, uh, and we see that in his life there are times that he got distracted and sidetracked from that one thing response. But nevertheless, uh, let's let David's one thing response be a provocation to us. So new priority. The second effect I'm going to say to David's yes to God is new faith. Um, Again, if you've got Psalm 27 open, we see a really fascinating interplay between doubt and faith in verses 9 and 10 and then again in 12 and 13. In verse 9, excuse me, 
Verse 9, David speaks to God. He says, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. Don't leave me. This feels like the voice of desperation and of doubt. I don't know if you sometimes feel that sometimes. Like, where are you, God? Are you going to show up for me in this scenario? Don't leave me. But what comes next? The very next verse, faith and certainty. He says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. They've left me. But the Lord will take me in. That, that phrase, take me in, it sounds like what you might do for like a, an old friend who needed a sofa to sleep on. Other translations have receive me. So if you're reading from the NIV, it might say receive me. The original language is a, a form of the word to gather. Uh, and it has the sense of like a parent lovingly picking up a child. It, in Isaiah, the same word is used for God. And it says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs in his arms. One of my favorite things about being a dad is picking David up. Like he, he's three and a half months old now and he's quite, he does sleep a bit during the day. And when he's asleep, I just can't wait for him to wake up. I just go and pick him up and hold him. And through the eyes of faith, that's what David sees about God. David, God's like, oh, I just want to hold you close. I want to gather you up. We have a, a loving father who desires to embrace his children. And we see a similar pattern, this doubt and faith in verses 12 and 13. If in the space of four verses we see David waver from doubt and to faith to doubt to faith, I suppose then perhaps we shouldn't be surprised if sometimes we have moments of uncertainty. For David, it was looking again at God and what he's like that brought faith. And it's, it's the same for us. Later in the Bible, there is encouragement for those moments of uncertainty. In Philippians 4, it says, The Lord is at hand. He's close. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Let God know what you need. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Faith is kind of like learning to trust, isn't it? Like testing a plank to see whether it will hold your weight. We see here David learnt that he could completely depend on God in every circumstance of life. And the truth is that we can do the same. So, new priority, new faith. Um, the third one I see, you can see here in Psalm 27 is new worship. Um, in verse 4, we which we touched on earlier, David says that he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of his life. So that, what, what's, what is the purpose of that dwelling? Is it finding protection from his enemies that he feels beset by? Or maybe taking a break from day-to-day -day life? No, the purpose, it says, is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It goes back to David's first yes. This was about seeking God's face. And at the face of God, David couldn't help 
but worship. Later on in, the, in verse 6, it says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Um, David was a passionate worshipper of God. He, he wrote over half of the psalms. So he wrote this psalm. He wrote over half of the other psalms that we have in the Bible. And I, he says, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I, I'd suggest that singing is one of the great methods of worship. There's something about song that just gets into us, doesn't it? Uh, and this psalm is a song which you don't immediately pick up because, you know, I guess some of the poetry is lost in translation. But it would have been used by God's people at the time of David and afterwards in temple worship. Like, as, as a new dad, I'm, I'm getting all sorts of nursery rhymes stuck in my head. And I'd suggest to you it would do your soul a great deal of good to get, to get this psalm stuck into your head or get another psalm stuck into your head. New worship. So what else do we see? The fourth effect, I'm going to say, of David's yes is new confidence. Um, before we get into what I mean by new confidence, I just want to touch on David's reference to enemies and adversaries here. Um, the, if you read some of the Psalms, it's a repeated sort of theme that you get often referenced to enemies or those that would be coming against whoever is writing the Psalm. And I don't know about you, but I often feel a little bit unsure how to, how to read that, how to respond to that. Um, David knew what it was like to have enemies, genuine enemies that wanted him dead. Uh, he, spent me- he spent years as a fugitive with the king of Israel, King Saul, wanted to kill him or have him killed. He was later betrayed by his own son and forced out into hiding. And those are experiences that I don't have and Probably most of us don't, don't have that sort of enmity in our lives on a, a regular basis. There may be, you might be thinking, I don't really have enemies. I don't really have anyone that's waging war against me. Uh, and that's good news. Um, but the, the Bible is also clear that there, there is an enemy to the plans and to the purposes of God. Uh, and therefore, those that believe in God and that follow him can expect some sense of opposition. In Ephesians 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, that's, that's not to say we should be on the lookout for some chap with horns to pop out on us at any moment. Um, I suppose what these enemies might look like, there's, they, there might already be things that are happening in our lives that could derail us or cause us to retreat from the purposes of God. It might be a temptation to lie on a tax return or the opportunity to harbor bitterness or resentment against a colleague at work or maybe a credit card debt that you've given up on ever paying back. Perhaps just things outside of you know, sickness or a difficult family situation that can sometimes just take our attention away from God. How about enemies for us as a church, for us as City Church? What enemies might there be that would keep us from being strong and courageous? Perhaps a fear of change, of we always do things this way around here, or things were better when we had a blue and green logo. (laughs) Uh, 
perhaps it might be just a, a sense of drifting away from community. Like there's, there's, you know, there's so many people here. I don't know, I don't know anyone here anymore. So, what am I trying to say? I suppose when you see references to enemies in this psalm and other psalms, I think we can sometimes skip over those things and say, I don't, "This is a bit weird. I don't know what to, how to deal with this." And I think I want you to think that this. You know, maybe this is relevant for me, or this is relevant for us, or it might be relevant for me or us. So, with that said, in spite of his enemies, I think we see in Psalm 27 and in David new confidence. So, in verse 1, which is just fantastic, isn't it? He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold or refuge of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Against fear, David deploys logic. Who shall I fear? Okay, so God is my light, so I'm not going to fear darkness. God is my salvation, then I'm not going to fear condemnation. God is my stronghold, my refuge. Well, there's no need to fear danger or loneliness or these enemies that beset me. There's a a pattern of logic here that we can follow. Later in the Bible, uh, in Romans, which is a a letter to a church written by a chap called Paul, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's that similar sense of logic. And, well, didn't God give up his most precious son for us? Well, then, is he going to hold back from helping us now? It's, we, we probably all know the story of David and Goliath. We have a giant Goliath, a hero of an enemy nation to, to Israel. And after 40 days of taunting the Israelite army, David turns up, not as a soldier. He's got a delivery backpack on his back, and he's here to just give some food to his brothers who are in the army. The army is in a state of terror and they're petrified. Look at the size of Goliath. And David comes in with a different perspective. He says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It's that same approach. If God is for us, then who's on the other side of that? Who's against us? Because it kind of... It doesn't matter if God's on our side. Fear, I think, we can see is often undone by that sort of logic. Mm. Verse 3. So an element of this new confidence, logic. I think another element we see in verse 3. It says, David says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. You You read that quickly... And he's just said the same thing twice, basically. But look closely, and, and there is, there's an important difference. David is pointing to freedom from both anticipated danger and in the throes of the fight. Freedom from fear in both anticipated and right in the battle. There, there's a difference from an, an army that might be encamped against you, around you, or besieging a, a group of people and then war actually taking place. I think on the fear stakes, the, the besieging is probably more scary. 
enemies that are just on your horizon and surrounding you and cutting off your resources, meaning that you can't move, you don't have freedom. And in both events, David is not going to fear. So this new confidence is both against anticipated, expected danger and actual peril. In verse 14, we see something else. This is right at the end, and it's sort of the conclusion. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I'll come back to wait for the Lord in a, in a moment. But I think it's really interesting here that you see both an active instruction to be strong and then like a passive or receptive instruction to allow your heart to take courage. Through seeking God's face, we see that David finds a new logical confidence for what is now and what's to come, what might come. And it's the same for us. If we seek God, I think we can find a logical confidence based in who God is and what he's like and what he's done for us. And that confidence covers what's happening now and in the future. And our response to it is both a be strong now, walk in that, that confidence, and uh, allow your heart to take courage. Just look to God and, and ask him for that, that bravery and that confidence. So David had an invitation from God his, to seek my face. In this psalm, I think we see his response, which is a yes in caps. I will seek your face. And from that ongoing personal yes, we see new priority, new faith, new worship, and new confidence. I said earlier that this invitation and response we see here in Psalm 27 is instructive for how we might respond to the invitation we received, we have received in Jesus. And in Jesus, we have a better invitation still than that that David has here. God said to David, seek my face. Whereas in Jesus, he says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's Jesus saying he's now on the lookout. He's seeking us. David sought to dwell in the house of the Lord, whereas now through Jesus and his Holy Spirit, we, the church, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That God is now living with us by his Holy Spirit. Not only that, but David sought that dwelling all the days of his life. Whereas now, through trust in Jesus, we have the promise of an eternal, heavenly dwelling at home with the Lord. Our hope is not bound by all the days of our lives, but that actually we will live with God for all eternity through trust in Jesus. What an invitation. In in John 15... Jesus talks to his disciples about what it looks like to say yes to the invitation of life in him and what it looks like to dwell with Jesus. He uses the example of a fruitful vine and he says that he, Jesus, is the vine and that the disciples are the branches. He says to his disciples, abide in me, abide in my love, remain in me. So live in me, and in doing so, life and fruitfulness 
flows from the, the vine to the branches. Now, I'm not a horticultural expert. You can come and see my back garden, and that, that sort of speaks for itself. Um, but the branches are not gritting their teeth trying to create fruit on their own. But actually, it's, it's life from the plant, from the vine that flows through into the branches. And that's what Jesus is talking about for us, that those that might be connected to him, that we receive his life and that life transforms us. It seems to me that that picture is similar to David's advice to wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Receive his life and his strength. Dwell with him and the rest follows. So, I've kind of bringing this to some sense of a conclusion. I've talked about God's invitation, his instruction, really, I guess, to David to seek his, his face. In Jesus, we have an even better invitation. What have you done with that invitation? How do you respond? I, I accepted God's invitation through Jesus as a child when I was five or six. I ran away from him as a teenager, and I was wonderfully found afresh by him on Easter Sunday, 2005, when I was 22. I can safely say that that was the best decision I've ever made. What's your response to Jesus? You might be here thinking, oh, I'm not sure who Jesus is let alone what, my, what he might be inviting me to or what my response might be to that invitation. Well, my advice would be to seek him. Uh, you may find, like I did, that he's looking for you. Um, this psalm shows us what it looks like to dwell with God. But it's not just meant to be a picture that we observe. It's not like we're at the windows of a house and we're just... You know, we've pulled back the curtains and we see God and David in this fantastic sense of relationship. They're having a great time. You know, you look at that worship, look at the way that God gives faith or gives confidence. Through Jesus, the front door to God's house is wide open to you and to me. And the invitation is come on in and enjoy. Make yourself at home. Abide in me. Um, and I think this, coming back to what was shared at that 20-year at that celebration back in September, be strong and courageous. And I think there's a, I think there's a response for us as, as a church, and perhaps also for individuals too, to be strong and allow your heart to take courage this morning. Um, so if the band could, could come, come back up, um, knowing that, Jesus has made a way for us as a church. Let's seek God's face. Let's look to dwell with him.